Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Thank God for His holy written word. You know, last week we celebrated the Lord's Supper and what a supper it really is. It represents the complete sacrifice and finished work of Christ upon Calvary's cross that He did and suffered and endured so that you and I could become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. He brought us out of the realms of darkness into the light of the kingdom of Almighty God and just absolutely poured out his love toward each and every one of us. I believe the best thing we can do to follow up on that is to let us all know that based on his great sacrifice, every single one of us should have a motivation within our hearts to serve him in one way or another. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So the title of my message is Motivated to Serve the Lord. So let's look in the book of Exodus chapter 9 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, go unto Pharaoh and tell him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve the devil, that they may serve the world, that they may serve the flesh, but that they might serve me. Amen. Why did he bring us out of the realms of darkness? To serve him, to serve him. Why did he bring us up from the miry clay? To serve Him. Amen. And that's what we're going to talk about. And when it comes to serving God, many serve for different motives. Some feel as though they serve Him out of guilt. Some feel they've been coerced into serving Him and there's a lot of pressure put on them to do something. Some are serving out of obligation. Some feel manipulated to serve. I want to guarantee you that God is more concerned about our serving Him according to what the Bible teaches about us serving Him. I don't believe in putting any kind of pressure on people to serve. I don't believe in putting guilt on people to serve. I know some do. I don't believe in condemning people so that they will serve. The message is basically from the Word of God to let us know this is what He's done for us and this is what He wants us to do for Him. And why? And that's my next point. It's a heart issue. Look in the book of Romans. Serving God is a heart issue. It's not as much about what we do as it is about why we do it. Can you see that? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, it's easy to lose that spiritual fervor over a period of time. But I want you to notice here he's talking about the fact that every single one of us should be passionate about something. And that is serving the Lord. We should have zeal when it comes to serving the Lord. There should be an intense desire within our hearts to serve the Lord. 
fervency of spirit in serving the Lord. Do you remember when the Bible talks about how Jesus was consumed for the temple and for the work of God? It says that zeal consumed him. In other words, inside him there was an intense desire for the temple to be used the way God intended it to be used. So when he went in the beginning of his ministry and he cast out those that bought and sold doves, in other words, he cleaned house. And at the end of his ministry, when he did the same thing, he cleaned house. It was the zeal for the temple of God, for the work of God, for the things of God that basically consumed him, or as some say, it just ate him up. He was so passionate about it. He has such intense desire about it. I'm sure there might have been some others during that time, maybe not happy with what was going on in the temple. But Jesus is the one that took center stage, didn't he? And he did something about it. We need to ask ourselves some questions. How passionate am I about serving God? What is my level of zeal when it comes to serving God? What's my motivation? When it comes to serving God. Am I on fire? We used to have a saying years ago when others were involved in youth ministry. It was, are you on fire? Are you ablaze with the spirit? Are you consumed with the things of God? Do you want God's work and will to be done in a powerful and glorious way? So much so that it will move you to activity. To do something from your heart. To bring that about. Well, these are the biblical motivations I want to share with us this morning. And once again, it's not to put any pressure on anybody. It's just to teach God's word and let the Holy Ghost move upon our hearts and minds and assimilate it. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? And what does it mean to everybody else? But number one, it's a major purpose in life. Number one. Look at Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verse 35. This is from the Living Bible. If you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the gospel news will ever know what it means to really live. Did you hear that? Uh, let's look at that verse in Romans chapter 12 as well from the NIV. Let's put these two together. It's only when we understand that my life's purpose is to serve the creator who created me. This is the apostle. Verse 11, brother, if you don't mind, verse 11, 12, 11. We need to understand that a lot of people will say, they'll even ask you, I don't know what my life purpose is. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The creator who created me, loved me, poured himself out for me, did for me everything that I needed, he need, I needed him to do, he needed to do for me to have me become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. So he did that for me, and I should be so zealous to serve him for what he did for me that with this intense desire, I'll just go about finding whatever it is my hand can find to do. When I first came to Jesus, when I first came to Christ, I had no knowledge of Pentecostalism, uh, Protestantism. I didn't come from that background. But when I got saved, praise God, I got saved. When I got washed in the blood, I was washed in the blood thoroughly, inside, outside, and everywhere in between. I used to play in rock and roll bands in the clubs and all that sort of thing when I first got saved, you know, 
And so when I came to Christ, I got saved. I put the guitar down. I just set it aside. I went to a bar one time because we were looking to have a, a, a gig. We called them gigs back then. I don't know what they call them today, but we call, I called them a gig. So I get in this, this club because we want to play. I'm trying to make money. I'm not concerned about the club. I'm making money to pay off my, my mortgage was so high, $82 a month. I mean, come on. So I had to work on the weekend to make some extra money to pay my $82 a month mortgage. But I just got saved. I want you to hear my story. It's not, it's not your story. It's my story. You let God speak to you as he wants to speak to you. But I sat down at a table with the others in the band. Other group was playing. And we were talking to the owner to see if we can get a gig on the weekend to make some money. As I sat there, I believe the Holy Ghost came all over me. I started shaking, literally shaking on the inside, shaking on the outside. People with me were looking at me and said, what's the matter with you? I said, I got to get out of here. Why? We want to get a gig here. Not me. I'm out of here. I left. I quit the band. I sat down on my guitar, amplifier, put it all aside, put it away, thinking that, no use for this anymore. I had an intense desire within my soul to serve God and do things his way and not my way. Now, maybe in my personal life, this is like I said, my personal testimony, that's something that I needed to do at that time for a specific reason. To prove to him, to show to him, my intense desire is for you and for you alone. And that's all there is to it. And isn't it a wonderful thing that God can still supply your need when you don't have a gig? Isn't that great? And he did. Long story behind that. But anyhow, one hasn't begun to really live until he re realizes that one of his major purposes in life is to serve God. Someone says to you at any time, and, and, you know, when you're in contact with them, I don't know what my life purpose is. That's very simple. It starts right here. The one who created you, the one who saved you, the one who died for you, the one who offers you eternity with him. He wants you to serve him. That's your number one purpose in life. That's it. And some people don't really live until they start realizing that. And that's why that scripture says that. Look at Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Our response to what he's done should be this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I guess that is reasonable, but really another translation says spiritual service. And be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Look at that from the, new, from the uh, living translation. This is the living Bible. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. Amen. He's Jesus satisfies. And so what's he saying here? Our number one purpose is to serve God. And the number one way of doing it 
is by presenting my body to him as a living sacrifice and say, I live for you. And renewing my mind to what his word teaches to say, I want to think the way you want me to think. I want my attitudes to line up with yours. So the first step when it comes to service, serving God is giving him myself in totality. I give myself to you. I'll be honest with you. If he says, all I want you to do is um, sweep the floor, then sweep the floor. I would envy that. Because there's a lot more responsibility in doing other things. But if that's all you want me to do, I would gladly do it. And guess what? You will be rewarded for doing that very thing. Amen. Period. Number two, Christ's example. Here's another biblical reason why we should serve God to follow the example of Christ. Look, Matthew 20, 28, and this is from the, once again, Living Bible. Your attitude must be like my own. This is Jesus speaking. For I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Well, we can unpack that for a long time, couldn't we? What's he saying? My attitude should be like his own attitude. He laid down his life, the Messiah, not to be served, but to serve. And set an example for all of us to follow. Our desire that should be burning within us, the fervency of spirit, should be to serve him in one way or another. Starting with your own self, that you're giving yourself to him. But then look at also in Philippians chapter 2, because here we have the apostle Paul. Reveals to us a little bit more about this attitude. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown to us by Jesus Christ. Who though he was God. Don't let that bypass us. Though he was God. Did not demand and cling to his rights as God. But laid aside his mighty power and glory. Taking the disguise of a slave. And becoming like men. And he humbled himself even further going so far as actually to die a criminal's death on a cross. Whoa. Did you get all that? What kind of an attitude was this? That even though he was God, he set aside his rights as God and robed himself in flesh and become a man. Why? To humble himself, to die to death on the cross, to serve. He became a slave. Can we even begin to comprehend that? The Messiah says, I want you to think in terms of the way I think. And even though I'm God, I set myself all that power aside so I can serve you. Wow, that's pretty special. And when we do the same thing, you know what we do? We imitate him. Can you imagine if everybody within the body of Christ had the mentality, I'm here to serve you. I serve him. But I'm also here to serve everybody in the body of Christ. That is my sacrifice. That is my surrender to God. That's what he wants me to do, is to serve him in whatever way I can. Next, number three. Do you know it's the best way to use our freedom? It's the best way to use the freedom that we have in Christ. Look at Galatians 5 and verse 13. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Did you get that? 
Use your freedom to serve one another in love, motivated by love. Your love for God and your love for people in the body of Christ. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love each other, how? As he loved us. So we've been called upon by him. We actually owe it to him to love one another the same way that he loved us. And once again, that is a tall order for anybody to answer. To love as he loved me. He laid down his life for every single one of us. It's a small thing to lay down your life for someone that you really love. But for your enemy, for your enemy, that's huge. And he laid down his life for every single one of us. For what reason? So we can serve him. So our motivation for serving him, number one, it really helps us understand what the true purpose of life really is. Because you see, this life on earth is very short. It's temporal. But when we leave this realm, it's forever. Is there anything this side of heaven that is so wonderful that we can't do without to cause us to spend an eternity in the lake of fire? Anything at all? I don't think so. So God has called upon us to take an active role in serving him to advance his kingdom in the earth. And it starts by laying down our own lives and sacrificing ourselves and giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. And then realizing our need to follow the example of Christ. But look at this here. We use our freedom, as Paul said, to be a love slave for Christ. He actually identified himself as I am his love slave. You know, he took us out of slavery to bring us back into slavery. The slavery of darkness. The yoke of iron the devil puts around our necks with an end of destroying us in the lake of fire eternally. But he says, come to me, yoke up together with me, ye that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I am meek and lonely of heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can he say that? Because you know what? He's doing the major part of it all. He's done it all for us, and when we're yoked up together with him, guess what? I'm just going along for the ride. I'm putting him in the front. I'm just going along for the ride. And that's what he wants us to do. Number four, out of reverence and godly fear. Notice in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. At this point, it's nice to echo the words of Joshua, who said, I don't know about what you're going to do, but as far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many people out there in the world serve a lot of different things, but me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He created me. He saved me. He gave himself for me. He took my place. He died my death. He suffered my hell. He paid my sin debt. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. He's deserving of my service. Praise God. Can you say amen? amen. Glory to God. Now, why does he say with reverence and godly, God, reverence and, uh, godly fear, which is godly reverential fear? 
Well, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. This might give us an inkling as to why we should. A man who refused to obey God's laws uh, given by Moses was killed without mercy if there were two or three witnesses to his sin. Think of how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and treated his cleansing blood as though it were common and unhallowed and insulted and outraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to his people. For we know him who said, justice belongs to me, I will repay them. Who also said, the Lord himself will handle these cases. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Whoa, did you get that? If you put all that together, you dis discover this. Yes, the blood of bulls and goats and animals and all that. So, so what if we disgrace them or whatever? But if you trample on foot the Son of God, and you count the blood of the covenant wherewith you were sanctified, and despite the Spirit of grace, and then you do insult the Holy Ghost, beloved, we are sorely challenged in this generation by a culture that does not want God in it. You go back when they started getting him out of school, getting him out of government, Getting him out of life and morality and all that. Look where we're at because of that mentality that infiltrated our system, our culture. And now we're at a place where the darkness seemingly has really gotten darker. And guess what, though? The light is getting lighter and brighter and brighter and brighter more and more into the perfect day. There's a separation coming from the chaff, the weed and the chaff, the light from the darkness. Remember, he said, I placed before you a life and death, good and evil, blessing and cursing. Choose life. There's going to be a distinction now. I mean, there's not going to be any gray areas. It's black or white. It's life or death. It's good or evil. It's blessing or cursing. Because when you take a stand to serve him and you rise up, in the face of all this adversity that we're encountering here today, you're going to get stoned. You're going to get persecuted. But guess what? Thank God we can suffer shame for his name's sake. Because we serve the most high God who will intervene on our behalf, who will have our back and take care of us. And so God wants us to become more vocal and proclaim what we believe to be true. Hallelujah. And that God's word is above the mentality of men. They want to get them out of our country, out of our nation. Well, you know what? They don't have our permission to do that. We're not giving them the authority to do that. We're here, praise God. They got to deal with that, and we're not going anywhere. We're standing firm on what we believe. We are serving the most high God who stands behind us, who backs us up who will honor his word, who will make it good, and he will perform it, praise God, in this generation. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Now, there's nothing wrong for also serving him because there's a reward. You young people that were up here, can all of you stand that help this morning? Would all of you young people stand? Let's thank the Lord for their lives. Thank you for your service this morning. We appreciate it. 
Amen. Continue your walk with the Lord and he'll bless you and he'll reward you. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Now this is Jesus. Remember the verses we just read. He humbled himself. He, he was a slave, a servant, and died the death on the cross. Wherefore, because he did that, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Imagine the reward that he received for what he did. His sacrifice for him becoming a servant, a love slave, serving mankind. Well, look at Matthew's Gospel 25 and 21. Anyone and everyone who serves him, you give someone a cup of cold water in his name, you're going to get rewarded for that. Did you know that? When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Oh, okay. Matthew 25, 21. You're right. The red heifers have come to Israel. Yes. Amen. Well, you know, the verse actually says this. It says on that day when you leave this realm and you go to be with him. Here it is. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What's that word there? Servant. Yes. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. But if you look at that. Is that in the King James? New Living? You know what the verse says. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. His Lord said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Notice that. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. There's a reward there for serving him. Notice he identified that person as a servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Servant is a kind word. Slave seems to be a little bit harsh. I'm just a slave. Be happy. Be thankful. You're a slave for Jesus. Paul said, I'm his love slave. I'm committed to him. And that's how we all should be. We're talking about motivations. Look at um, chapter, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3. Now this is in the, in the new heavens. There shall be no more curse. You didn't shout. Wow. Did you hear that? That didn't say cursing. It said no more curse. We'll no longer live under a curse. A fallen condition, okay? But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his what? Service. His what? Service. What were they going to do? Service. So if you're a servant now, you'll serve him then. Yeah. I call that a reward. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. You'll serve him then. You see, you get wrapped up in serving him. He becomes your life, your purpose for living and all, all that. And it doesn't matter what it is, at what level, what capacity. It doesn't really matter what it is. Like I said, give a cold cup of water to somebody. You're rewarded for that service. Go visit somebody in a hospital. Jesus said, you did it to me. Right? So we recognize that. Nothing's too big. Nothing's too small. But because you do that, you follow his commandments. Whatever it is that you do, you do for him. He goes, I'm going to reward you for that. There's a great reward for you on the other side in glory. You're going to have crowns and et cetera, et cetera. But nothing is better than that. Right there, you'll be serving him.
you're a servant. Then what about this one? This secret to great success or being, let's say greatness. Look at Matthew's Gospel 20 and 26. And this from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great, whoever wants to become great among you, remember the story here? Grant me this, grant me that. No, you want to become great? Must be your servant. Did you get that? Young people, listen to those words. You want to be great? Become a servant. When people mock you, laugh at you, and say, why do you do this, that, and the other thing? You know what? Because you want to become great. You're his servant. You're not a slave to the world, the devil, the flesh, other people's lives. You're a slave of Christ. Look at the next one. Very, very personal and intimate. Out of love and gratitude. John 21, 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, yeah, Lord. You know, he did this three times. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said to him, then do your own thing. Pursue your own goals. What did he tell him to do? Feed my lambs. In other words, do something for me. See, when we do something for him, it's out of servanthood. In other words, he was saying, then serve me. Whatever it is, whatever your hand finds to do, just do it. Serve me. I went, um, when I first got saved, once again, I refer back to the very beginning. When I came out of the church and went to another church that was, happened to be a Pentecostal church, I didn't know the difference between Pentecost, whatever, Methodists, Presbyterian. I had no, no clue whatsoever. But I just ended up in this one church. It was a Pentecostal church. And that fellow there found out that I played guitar. And I didn't know you could play guitar in church. Because where I came from, you didn't play guitar in church. So I got the dust off the old Fender, you know, reverb, twin. And then uh, the, the guitar... Because he said, would you come and just play a little bit? I said, okay. <laughs> I cut loose on Johnny B. Good. <laughs> I happened to notice the pastor looking over at me like, you said to play. I was just throwing some riffs in there, we, that, that sort of thing, you know. And he was like, just shook his head a little bit and said, Hey, I got to get cleaned up. I, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've never played gospel music before. No, no uh, background as far as that is concerned. So I just play the guitar. Why? Because whatever I found my hand to do, God's not going to take you out of a realm where you can't do something. He'll take what you have and you can use what you have. He'll use what you have, whatever it might be. It could be that you're a good writer. Write out some cards of people that are in a hospital or maybe that are shut-ins and all that and send them a card or something like that. Whether Maybe God's gifted you with finances. Well, then use your finances to advance the kingdom of God. You've got a good voice and you sing. You know, when you said that about singing, oh my goodness, I'm just thinking, oh, that's not me. <laughs> But I don't have to. But I also thought I don't have to have a good voice because you know what? 
He said, make a joyful sound, not on key necessarily, but make a joyful sound unto the Lord. Let something come from your toes, out of your spirit, rise up within your soul and just out of your mouth and just shout the praise of Almighty God. He's not concerned. He'll filter it and make it on key, pleasing to his ears. It says it's pleasing to his ears, right? See, he ta- you ever see some of these machines they have that you can sing? Uh, you, you don't have a great voice, but when it comes out, it's like, whoo. Modern technology. Well, God has already got that. He's filtered, he fills it at all. And finally, the last one, uh, to promote unity. Look at the 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is uh, verse 12 from the uh, Living Bible as well. Our bodies have many parts, but the many parts make up only one body when they are all put together. So it, so it is with the body of Christ. So the body of Christ is made up of many members, and we all, just like the physical body, have different responsibilities. You remember when uh, Paul goes on to say this, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't have any need for you, because without the ear, there's no hearing. And the ear can't say to the eye, I have no need for you, because without the eye, there is no seeing, right? And the head, who is who? Christ can't say to the foot, who might be considered the lowest member in the body, I have no need of you. Right? In other words, he needs all of us. One thing that COVID did was try to disrupt this unity and harmony within the body of Christ to get people out of that place where they come together and bring their gift before the throne of God and join themselves together with other people within the body of Christ to do what? To worship God in harmony, unity. And that's exactly what the devil would want done. To keep people away from their gifting. So listen. Psalm 133. And this is from the New Living Translation. How wonderful and pleasant. The King James says how good and pleasant it is. When my brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil. That was poured over Aaron's head. That ran down his beard. And onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls in the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced, and there the Lord has pronounced, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life ever after. Notice this. It's good and it's pleasant when God's people dwell together in what? Harmony or unity. It's good because it reflects the heart of God. It's pleasant because it promotes fellowship and oneness within the body. So you've got people that are promoting God's heart and making life wonderful, working together to accomplish the purposes of God. And it's notice this, what he uses as an example. This is David speaking. It's like the anointing oil that ran down from the head to the beard of Aaron. Now remember, Aaron is the high priest. This analogy is being used of the oil that's used only for the high priest to anoint the high priest. It starts from above and it comes down and it flows from the top all the way down his collar. It says the robe. Some say that it stopped at the, at the collar, which is they call the robe, but some say it went all the way down. Regardless, it has come from above. It's this anointing of God. And it starts at the top and it goes all the way down through and it brings everybody together. And it's that same anointing oil of God. It's in that place where the anointing of God abides. 
It's that place where the blessing of God will manifest. So when people come together in harmony and say, we are going to use our part to advance the kingdom of God in the earth, you're giving place to the blessing of God. That's a place where God's blessing will manifest. And that's why the enemy's work is to do what? Bring division. Remember Jesus said a house divided can't what? Stand. So he'll do everything in his power and ability to bring division where the people of God are meeting together. So it's important we recognize that and know that if we want God's blessing, it's a supernatural work that's from above. Of course, Jesus is the anointed. He's, he's the anointed high priest of today. That anointing is upon him. And what happens? It flows from him and all the way down into every person within the body of Christ. The anointing that makes way to the blessing of God. Now, real quick, we'll close with these three things and then ask some questions. But um, what, anointing, what unity does, harmony does, makes a highway for God to move. Look in the, the book of Acts chapter 4. Remember that uh, the miracle took place of the man that was healed and they brought uh, P John, Peter and John into question. They questioned him and all that. They threatened them and all that. They went in one accord, one heart, one mind, one accord with all the other people and they prayed and they began to proclaim. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant to thy servants, to thy what? That with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy, thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. So we have a highway for God to move when people come together in one heart, one mind, one accord, supporting one another, defending one another, helping one another, and having everybody know, look, the enemy on the outside wants to bring destruction. And it's up to us to take our place and do our part and promote unity and harmony within the body. And what happens? The place shakes. The place shakes where they assemble together. A highway is made for God to move. It's easier to accomplish our goals and dreams. Look in the book of Genesis. There's a lot to be said for all three of these. I'll just real quickly throw them out. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing shall set out, nothing that they shall set out to do will be impossible for them. Nothing will be impossible to them. Isn't that powerful? When they're of one heart, one mind, one accord, when they are united, nothing will be impossible to them. You know, there's a difference between being united and in unity. Take two cats, tie their tails together, they're united. That doesn't spell unity. So you could have two, two cats that are united, they're going to go crazy, right? United means that they're of one heart, one mind, one accord, one goal, one purpose. That's why in marriage the same thing is true. You get two people from two different backgrounds. You've got the male and the female genders, right? You've got two, one world, two views. You've got the blue world of the boy. You've got the pink world of the girl. And you bring these together and you've got a whole brain because God took half of the brain of Adam out and put one in the half in the woman, half in the man. Remember that? It wasn't just his rib he took out. He took half his brain out. You understand that? You realize that? 
You know that book at Walmart that says everything men know about women? You, you, they sold, made a millionaire out of it, and there's not one word on any page in that, the entire book. They made millions on that. I could have written a book like that. Because on purpose, intentionally, this is God's intended purpose and will, was that we need to depend on each other, so he made us different by intention, by design. Okay? It was intentional. So that we would come together and use the blue and the pink, put it together, come up with purple. Okay, so he needed us to be united, one heart, one mind, one accord. And what happens, great success takes place. But if there's disharmony, we know what that does, right? Absolutely. Which is why it's so important that we take our place and do our part, whether you're the husband, whether you're the wife. You take your place, you do your part, you cooperate together with God. You love her as Christ loved the church, as you love your own body. And you submit to his leadership and you honor him and, you honor him and the Lord and him by doing your part as well. That's for another time. Creates a force Satan cannot penetrate. Creates a force that the devil just can't penetrate, which is why he works overtime. Look in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Do you ever feel alone? You ever feel like you're out there by yourself? Mm -hmm. I think we've all been down that road at one time or another. If you're standing alone... You can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back. Why don't they say back to back? So you can see everything that's going on around you. With your peripheral vision, you can see it all. But you see, I'm looking at you right here. I don't know what's going on behind me right here. But that person would be back to back. They would see everything there on that side, that side, forward, peripheral vision here, and that side. So two can stand back to back and what? Conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. It's talking about unity, people coming together. So now you've got three making up that group, and you can see everything so well. And it's easier to overcome. So to experience our dreams and hopes and fulfill everything, it's so much better because the enemy cannot penetrate that. So thank God for that. So in conclusion... I really believe this to be true. God wants to take us to another level. Appreciate your enthusiasm. God wants to take us to another level. To rise to another level as an individual. To rise to another level as a couple, as a family, as a church. Requires us coming together, recognizing that we are servants of the Lord. Right? Servants of the Lord. And every one of us is committed to doing what? Serving Him based on biblical principles. Not by coercion. Not by manipulation. Not by guilt. Not by condemnation. You know what? I'm throwing this out so that the Holy Ghost could move upon your heart, your mind, and say, you know what? what? What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? doesn't just mean here. It means with your life. How can I serve you? Well, some questions and we'll close as they're coming. What is one way I'm serving the Lord right now? In what way am I doing that? Answer that question for yourself. Number two, what is my motivation? What's moving me? What's motivating me to do what I'm doing for the Lord? Am I living my life with eternity in mind? 
because the investments that I'm going to be making are either going to be short-lived or eternal. Regardless, when you leave this realm, everything's eternal. But am I investing in the work of God? Am I using my abilities for, the king, for kingdom use? God has gifted every single one of us with something to be used for his kingdom. No one's left out. Smallest thing that you can do. Make a phone call. Send a text. Whatever it is. Encourage somebody. Be an encourager. Be an usher. Be a singer. Be a musician. Whatever it is that God has gifted you with, just surrender it to him, dedicate it to him, and he'll use you. Am I using my abilities for his kingdom? Am I faithful in small things? Small things. If you're faithful in small things, what, he'll, what will he do? He'll promote you to bigger things. And am I taking advantage of the opportunities that I have right now? Remember the song of, was it Andre Crouch that wrote the song, My Tribute? How Can I Say Thanks? For the things that you've done for me. Mm -hmm. Right? Things so undeserved, but you came and gave your life to show your love for me. The voices of many angels could never express my gratitude. All that I have and all that I am. Why? I owe it all to you. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. All that I have and all that I am. Think about that. Well, how can I say thanks? I have an answer for Andre. Serve him. Mm 